Welcome back to the Like Saying Cash podcast. Today we got a special guest, Quinn Fulmer, and today we're going to talk about how he's generated hundreds of millions of views on YouTube, how to make $2,000 with a cardboard box, and how to build a unique personal brand that people give a shit about. I don't uh, consume like a lot of people's content, but I don't read anyone's tweets consistently other than maybe like four or five people. And you're actually one of them. You always talk about like personal branding and unique perspective. You made a tweet is maybe like a month ago and you said, my new to posting content brother in Christ. <laughs> no one wants to hear about your top five favorite books if they don't have a reason to care about you to begin with. Sell them on you, your story, what your business does, how you help people, tricks of the trade, the journey, make them care. There's no secrets. You've made like 500 plus videos. Um, what have you noticed that separates people that have personal brands that people care about and personal brands that are just kind of regurgitating information? Honestly, like the biggest thing I've noticed is the people who have strong personal brands are kind of weird. Like they're kind of eccentric. They're kind of like, they don't fit the box. Like any of the people that you follow, they're not too worried about how they're being perceived by other people. It's more so just like expressing what they feel or expressing their perspectives. And I think when people start making videos at first, rightfully so, it's like even hopping on here, I'm thinking about like, how are people going to perceive me? Like I zoom out and like, look at that. But it's like, I think being able to kill that as soon as possible and actually just speak to people like you're a person, that's what makes people connected to you with a personal brand. Like think about if you went to go get coffee with someone and you were putting up the same wall that most people do when they make content, you wouldn't like that person. It's about erasing all of the rules that people put on making a personal brand and just like getting back to the source of like sharing you as a person so it's like you look at hormozy you look at i mean kanye you look at brute you look at all these people they're like they're all flawed people and they don't dance around their flaws they're willing to like speak to them and how it makes them a person and it makes them more relatable and to the point of that tweet is actually uh, a, a buddy of mine started he has a he has a coaching business and he started putting out instagram reels and content and stuff like that and actually i saw one of his posts and it inspired me to make that tweet and like he responded to the tweet underneath it and he was like oh this is about me right and i was like yeah dude i wasn't like trying to like ruffle feathers but it's like bro like you don't need to talk about your five favorite books just because that's what you see people on forbes doing it's like the reason why people want to hear what they are is because these are people that people have an affinity for when I try to do credibility stuff, like you, you, I want to, I understand the game in the beginning. You tell me like, you got to give people some way to know that you're not talking out of your ass. But to me, it's like super weird to say, Hey, I did this X, Y, and Z before jumping into the video. How does one show that credibility without looking like an asshole early on? Yeah, it's tough early on because it's like, that is kind of the only thing you have. Like, especially if you're just starting to do content and no one knows who you are. That's why I like the My Story video as like the first video that I like tell people to do is because like one, they usually do pretty well because people are interested in people's stories, but it's also like, okay, so they find this video of you. Maybe you're talking about your five favorite books, for example. They don't really know who you are. And if you don't want to say it at the beginning of the video, they can look at your profile and kind of just like intuitively figure out who you are and what you do. I don't know. I, I get the point of like not wanting to boast and brag because like I would never hop on here and be like I'm Quinn and I've made over 500 YouTube videos and now let's get into it It just feels weird if your content's good enough at the beginning to grab their attention then they'll figure out who you are and what you do but you do have to have that somewhere existing for them to be able to find when we were recording um the other day my 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 story video ironically enough I actually said something to we were like recording the intro or something like that and I was like I said something and I was like I don't know if I want to say that like I felt like I was condescending. I felt like an ass, what JK just said. I was like, I don't want to say that. But then Quinn kind of stopped me and he was like, it's not condescending if it's true. Like, you know what I mean? And like, I didn't want to. Uh, what did I say? I think I said, uh, what did I say? Just for context, is, uh, we're both Quinn's clients. So when, when we mentioned last, last uh, pod, we're going to blackmail our editor into coming on. Well, there you go. Well, this is what happened. Yeah. If you're wondering why this is an hour, like an hour long glare session, it's because what <laughs> <laughs> whenever I say to Quinn, I don't think this should go in there. Most of the time he pushes like, no, the fact that you think it shouldn't go in there, it's because it should, because it's either like a connection move. So like I said something, I was like, ah, that's a vulnerable. I don't want to say it. And it's like, no, like keep it. Or it's a value move, as in, I don't want to give this away, 
but he's not like, no, that that's why it should be in there. Just something I, I wanted to add that you do that. I think it's actually, it gives me the confidence to be like, oh yeah, you know what? Maybe people want to hear this. So I just say it. Well, I think what that is, is just breaking down the wall of what you think should be content and what is actually you. Like back to the beginning of the video, it's like, I remember we, we were making like your story video. This was a few months ago and you had a, you have a portion in there about how you use the money that you, you sold Tweet Hunter with to like take your grandma on vacation. And like you had a picture with her in the video, but you didn't want to put that in because like originally you thought it wasn't going to like fit the image that you wanted to portray to the audience. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm like, that's exactly why you should do it is because it's a little bit uncomfortable to share that side of yourself. And it's like, those are the things that people connect to at the end of the day. Another thing I like to do, like, I think Marcus in your video, what we did was whenever you have something that's true like that, that you don't want to say, a lot of the times the solution to it is just after you say it to say, and I feel weird saying that because there's so many gurus, blah, 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 like playing to the antithesis angle to kind of set you apart from the rest of the crowd is also kind of helpful. Like, that's also just like how I kind of navigate the world though, is like trying to like hedge things. I feel like. I don't know though. Yeah. But I don't know though. Can, can, you, can you give me an example of the antithesis angle? I think that's interesting. I, I said it. I said, uh, I think it, you just use an example from my video. It was, uh, I, I basically said, I hate, like, I don't want to be another like rags to riches story. Like I really don't like that, but I think it, this will get my point across. Like I said that in the beginning of my video, I believe. Yeah, this was something actually, I I, uh, I picked this up at a dinner that I had with Vince and Liam who run highticket.com or highticket.co. I'm not sure which one it is, but we were we shot a video out here uh, a few weeks back. It was comparing different cars to their conversion rates on social media ads. So basically we shot in front of like a $5 car and then we, we ended up going up to like a $500,000 car at a shop and we we're going to run all the ads and we're doing like a, an experiment that way. But they were saying that because the info product slash online business owner, the industry's like kind of reached peak understanding. Like people know what this is now when they t turn tune into a, a talking head video. It's like there's Iman doing it. who's getting millions of views. There's like the Sebs of the world who are getting millions of views. There's Hormozzi. Like there's all these people who are pretty widely known. The way to differentiate yourself from the crowd of people sometimes is just to straight up say, but... This is why I'm different. And then you get back into it. And it's like sometimes that unique positioning is all that you need to like really set yourself out from the crowd because everyone's interesting. It's just like, it's like I said, people put up these content walls that they think that they need to like fit within. But it's like, you're so much more than that as a person. And obviously you can stay aligned to like my only objective for videos is lead nurture for my services or something like that. But I think like long-term kind of rounding out those corners of your, uh, personality are kind of like the way to go but i could be wrong and that's me hedging you said something out you said something but i don't know though you said something practical is um and i wanted to point it out because i had a you said to jay or jk said that sometimes when he says something shouldn't go in you basically force him to put it in and i had a i had a client thread like literally yesterday where the main thread got like a quarter million views but the second tweet got three hundred thousand views and like 80 quotes and it was one of those tweets where you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to include this, but it ended up being like the best part of the content. It was one of those things where it was like on, it's kind of like on the fence of, ah, like, I don't know, but I could, and we left it in and it actually did better than the actual tweet, which is, which is very rare. Um, I thought that's something that you could probably, anyone could probably take that away. It's like, if you don't know if it should go in, it's probably the best part of the content. I'm going to tell a story on what happened when, when I went to Phoenix, I, I need everybody to. I want to I want to ask where'd you learn all this stuff, and I want to ask what's the logic behind it. So I go to Phoenix because I'm feeling I'm testing Quinn, and I'm go I'm feeling impulsive. It's like oh, what you're feeling? I'm like a lot of, a lot of tension over there, right? It's like ah, oh, let's just let's just let's just shoot some videos, right? Because I'm gonna go to America, and I'm there's no way in hell I'm passing customs twice. So I'm like I'm just going once. So I went there. First thing we did was he just pulled the camera right away. We shot the barista clip, which was kind of cringe and embarrassing, but it did really well. <laughs> then we went to this venue, like not a venue, but just this place where you rented it for five hours and just sat behind the camera. And this is the attention to detail that I want people to understand. As I was going through the motions of the video, 
you were always there behind the camera. You were not looking at your phone. You were not sitting there, even though you could have, because you just press, press record and let me do my thing, but you didn't do that. You were there behind the camera. And when I did something, you were like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you were like following, you were like nodding along. When I told a joke, you laughed, right? When I said something that, even though it wasn't that deep, you made it, you reacted as if it was. And that kind of gave me the confidence to be like, at the beginning, it was kind of like, what, what the hell is this guy doing, right? But then I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is good. This, this pumps me up. And you said something interesting about audit editors or like other people who record videos and why this matters. And maybe this is valuable for the audience listening. Yeah. So this was actually something that Caleb at acquisition.com taught me. Like he was big on this. And I was the same way, like you were saying, like the first shoot session I rolled to him with to record, he was like head bobbing the whole time. And I was like, okay, that's a little much. Like, what is this? Because I'm like, in my person, yeah. if I'm kind of just like, I would just sit there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not within my nature to do that, I feel like. And prior to meeting him and learning this from him, like, I would kind of just sit behind the camera. But he was telling me, it's like, that's really why he was able to get shoots with Gary Vee back in the day was because he was super engaged behind the camera. And like, ever since he was telling me that, like, at first I thought it was weird, but then it's like, recording content's weird. Like if you're someone sitting in front of a camera and then there's just someone on their phone like this behind, like you have no feedback loop. You can't, it's not a conversation. You know what I mean? So it's like being able to give visual feedback that what you're saying is either intriguing or like kind of like nudging you in directions without being annoying and stopping to say stuff every five seconds. I feel like it's like you're limited to head bobs. You're limited to like perking your head up if there's a question. Or like even like an eyebrow raise, little things like that just to keep it engaging. But like that's something I actually learned from him was like more of the quote talent management side of things of like behind the camera, you should be paying full attention. And now whenever I go to other shoots with like other production teams and stuff like that, sometimes I'll see them just like they'll set the cameras up, click record, walk into the other room and sit on the couch on their phone. And I'm just like, it's just like not the way to do it, I feel like. What's another tips that are like these little like golden tips that you learn that people don't think about, but it's like super useful when it comes to content. Do you have any more of those? Yeah, I would say like YouTube and even short form, all of it's copywriting first and foremost. I think there, there's been some people on Twitter kind of like writing this wave too, but it's like if you can, one thing I like to do is actually after a recording session, you take the video and you put it through Descript which is a software that will transcribe the entire video into text. And you can essentially edit it like a Word document. And what this does, it allows you to basically any sentence that doesn't progress the narrative of the story in any way, you just cut it. So a lot of times in conversations, people say stuff that's like repetitive or they explain things in three different ways when it could be limited to one. And like this is quote data backed too, but I also think it just makes for tighter videos. Um, Basically like treating it like a film director would and like a copywriter would in the sense of like, okay, this sentence doesn't actually move the video forward in any way. It doesn't progress the narrative. It doesn't progress the idea. It doesn't help them understand it anymore. So just cut it. And what that can do is it can, it can take a video that's 30 minutes and condense it down to 12 without losing any information. Cause like I like to optimize for value per second rather than like trying to stretch out a bunch of watch time. You know what I mean? So it's like, I actually learned this way back in the day recording. Uh, we did a vlog video at the studio I used to work for, High Five Studios. Now it's called Spellbound. But it was a video where the CEO had one of the employees play CEO for the day. And we had the first cut of the video and it was 42 minutes long. And he was like, I feel like this could be condensed into 25 minutes without taking anything out. And it was just, it was crazy to me because I just went through the cut aggressively cutting sentences that didn't actually, they didn't contrib contribute to a joke. They didn't contribute to the storyline. They were just like fluff and just condensing it. You wouldn't have even known that anything was taken out. So if you can take out all the elements of something that leave it to like its bare form, people do this in music production too. It's like a lot of people like to use five different tracks, um, five different pads and synths and stuff. But like Rick Rubin is a creative genius who I like look up to for some stuff. He, he's wrote a book and stuff like that. He's like that big wizard looking guy, but he likes to like distill things down to their simplest elements that make them like, what is the core of this idea? And that's like a 
kind of convoluted example and answer, but uh, there's a helpful. <clears throat> yeah, there's a uh, algorithm that Elon Musk's. Uh, I just about to finish his biography, and the algorithm he uses for all of his companies. Um, the last part is basically delete as much as you can and simplify as much as you can. And if you don't add back at least 20% of what you deleted, you never deleted enough in the first place. And he does that at every one of his companies for every, every part, every piece of metal, every piece of every process. And I think that's, it's, I think about it often for business and like all of our processes. I'm like, what, can I delete a software? Like, can I delete a part of the process? Like, we should at least try it and then we can add it back later. You know what I mean? But you, you'll never get to its simplest form if you don't delete a ton right off the rip. Well, he did it with Twitter too. He came in and hired everyone. Like literally everyone. I'm doing that in business too now. So like I'm running the business. I'm like my my monkey brain were like, what's the only way to get more money home is make more money. But then I understood another way to get more money home is cut your costs. Like it took me three years to learn that lesson. But now I'm cutting costs and I'm taking more money home. It is great. Subtraction is the thing you never think about, but it's yeah. so nice. If anyone knows me in business, they know my whole business runs on docs and sheets. And I'm like, I the, the last two softwares that I'm on right now are Figma, which I know Quinn knows. And then I have Airtable. I'm like, I'm like diabolically figuring out how to cut out Airtable because I just like having less softwares. I'm like, how can I cut this out? Because it's just like, I just want less. Because the less I have, the more brain power I have to focus on like banger content for my client. You know what I mean? I actually want to go back because you mentioned Spellbound, and I looked at your YouTube channel and I saw Baby Quinn, and I I have to I have to force you. And I know because I'm a podcast listener, I'm a consumer as well, so I know that I would be pissed if you didn't if you didn't tell the story of of Quinn because you said you were at High Five now Spellbound, and we know where you went after that. So I want to know when you started YouTube, like what got you interested in the first place? Were you an iPad kid? And then, like, how did that progression go to kind of taking you to the business side, which is not a side that everybody makes. A lot of people just go straight content. It honestly started, I was like eight to 10 years old. And my dad showed me this website called Go Animate, which was like a website you could go on and put put together little storyboards of like stick figure characters. It was like drag and drop animation, basically. And I would make little videos on there and I'd post them to YouTube or whatever and I would go to like my fourth grade table and be like, watch this, like watch this episode, please watch it. Like, I don't know why I just wanted that from people. Like I always wanted to make stuff. And um, it started with that. I did that for a little bit. I like run and gun with the little, do you remember the flip cameras back in the day? They're like little squares with like a lens on them. I had a flip cam and I just run around the neighborhood with like buddies of mine when I was like eight to 10, maybe 12 and just record stuff on there, chop it up. Um, learned editing that way. And then I remember I saw the M. Night Shyamalan uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender movie. Worst movie of all time. Marcus loves it. Yes, exactly. Never it. <laughs> but the, the special effects in it were so bad that I was like, I think I could do that. <laughs> so I, 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 I was like, uh, they're like so bad that there are all these articles about it. And I think I was like 10 or 11 at the time. I think I was 10. And I was like, how do they make these fire effects and stuff? Like, cause I wanted to do that for my videos of like running around the neighborhood. And it was uh, Adobe After Effects was like the software I think they used for some of the stuff in there. So I asked for that for my 10th birthday. So I was messing around with Adobe After Effects, watching these tutorials from this guy named Andrew Kramer from videocopilot.net. Free tutorials, if anyone wants to get into video. I would recommend this stuff's so old now, but like he works on the Star Trek movies. He does like special effects with JJ Abrams. Like he's legit. And I just like learned how to do these little like videos where I'd walk across the, the screen and then like explode or like just stupid stuff to mess with like the special effects. So I started doing that. And then eventually I was like watching YouTube, Rhett and Link back in the day, um, Julian Smith back in the day, like all the OG YouTubers. And I just always like followed them just as a fan, just like as a kid. And, um, you know, I was playing football and stuff at the time, but like outside of that and outside of school, I was pretty much just like watching videos and I was like a YouTube kid, you know what I mean? Like first generation watching like the OGs. And um, I think I just started replicating that. Like I've always just been someone who likes to replicate things for whatever reason. So got into putting up more videos like as I was in high school just like kept upgrading gear upgrading cameras and stuff like that and 
did your classmates not were not like dude Clint, what the fuck are you doing man like this is so weird i mean i'm sure i'm sure there were people who thought that but like i just didn't care like i for whatever reason i just did not care like i would sell a little merch at i would sell merch at recess i would sell wristbands like i had all of my eighth grade class i went to a small a small junior high and I would put out a video every Sunday and like look forward to going in, into class on Monday to talk about the episode and like sell little wristbands and merch and stuff. It's just, I don't know why. It's just like, I just did this. So then I just kept doing it and then met people along the way. I don't want to talk the whole time, but I can keep going. <laughs> That's the point of the story, Quinn. Yeah, bro, this is where you're here. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> along the way, along the way, there is a show. I don't remember if you guys were ever on YouTube back in the day, but do you know Ryan Kiga? Oh yeah, the Asian dude. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, he was one of like the first YouTubers. He like uh, he would just do random videos with his friends and stuff. He hosted a show for a few seasons on YouTube. It was like one of the first of its kind of like higher quality content on YouTube called Internet Icon, and it essentially was like a it was like a, a American Idol for creators was like the idea. It was like kind of a low budget show. The winner won like 10 grand or something like that. I didn't go on it. Like this isn't where this is going. But one of the guys on the show, he was probably 10 years older than me at the time. And he, I saw like myself in him. He was like making music. He was like doing all this stuff. He was like this creative guy. And I think I was just following the show. He ended up winning. His name was Matthias. And he went on eventually. I, I, I followed him since that show. And he went on to basically expand his personal brand and expand his videos into eventually building High Five Studios, which was like a multi-channel network of entertainment channels back in the day. Um, and I followed him since the beginning. I was like on his Minecraft server. I would like, you know, like he knew who I was. You know what I mean? Like, I, I dude, I labbed Minecraft for years. And those make mad money now. Like Minecraft what? server. Can't they make a ton of money? It's like a business. Yeah, so... He, he ended up shutting down the Minecraft server and stuff like that. But yeah, th dude, that's like a whole business in itself. I had a Minecraft server back in the day. When his shut down, I actually had the whole community come over to mine, which was funny. <laughs> Siege referral. <laughs> but it's, it's literally the replication. I was like, okay, this guy, I like what he's doing. He made a Minecraft server. I'm going to make a Minecraft server. Boom. I made a Minecraft server. Got a little like group of homies on there. Sold some like ranks and stuff like that. Whatever. Played that. But he knew who I was. He put out a tweet needing an editor. And I was on Twitter. He saw my stuff. He saw that I was like basically replicating his stuff back in the day. And I kind of like had the technicality to be able to do it, which was kind of funny because it was like, I was like 10 years younger than him, just like copying him basically, like not intentionally, but like, you know, I looked up to the guy and he saw that I was 16 at the time and he needed an editor. He said they had to be 18. I like replied to the tweet. I was like, yo, I'm down. I know it says you have to be 18. He said, he like, he DM'd me. He was like, don't worry about it. We'll figure something out. We figured it out. Um, started freelancing for him in high school. And I was just doing his vlogs. He did like daily vlogs, um, building, like following him, building the studio. He eventually like started a bunch of other channels and stopped vlogging. I hopped onto those channels as like an editor and stuck with them throughout the time I was in high school till I graduated. Then I went to ASU, was still doing the freelance stuff for him. Um, COVID came, everything shut down. I was in a fraternity. I was doing all the ASU stuff, getting involved on campus, whatever. Um, and I was just like, I was like, dude, like, let's keep doing this. Uh, I'll move out to LA to do this full time. Cause I was basically working full time at the time. I was like in my, in my college room between pledge duties and cleaning up parties. I was like labbing edits on my laptop. Like I remember there's there's a week where we had to stay in the the frat house for a week in order to get in the shield. It was he What? Were you in what? Pike? No, I wasn't in Pike. <laughs> I was in Sigma Nu. I got it. I was doing that and I just remember I had to like tell them I was like, dude, like I have I have these I have this work to do, like I have to make time for this and all that kind of stuff. So it ended up working out. Um and then I ended up moving to LA because I was just like sick of everything was online with school. I was like, what is this? Like there's no point to do this right now. Um, moved out there during COVID. I was 20, I believe, at that point. And uh, it was pretty lonely, honestly. It was like, I just moved to LA. I didn't know anyone. I went into the studio one or two times a week. And then the rest of the time, I was just like making stuff. Like I'd make music. I'd like 
go drive along the PCH to Malibu. Like it was pretty nice actually. It was cool. And uh, did that for about eight months. Ended up moving back to Phoenix because everything was closed. I was like, there's no reason to be out in LA. I was still working remotely. Kept working remotely with them for a bit. Kind of found the online business space, I guess you could say. And I found, uh, I started trying to start like a little agency about two years ago. I'm 23 now. Within that little journey of like trying to sign clients and whatnot, I saw Formosi stuff. And I actually like, I didn't love the internet money space just because I didn't think a lot of people were legit and all that kind of stuff, you know, like typical like guru stuff, I guess. But I liked his stuff. He was yeah. doing the webcam videos and I saw that they needed people in-house for content stuff. Like it was just at the time where they were starting to build up the team and they wanted to like take it to the next level. And I was like, this makes sense. The dude lifts. He has run into <laughs> Sorry. He lifts. No, that's real. That's actually real, bro. <laughs> I lift. He lifts. Let's do this. Let's this fucking go. Let's just move. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. It's like, I just, I think of something and I'll just do it. I feel like. So then I ended up, I talked to them. I was originally going to just try to do like short form or something for them, but had some conversations and they wanted people in house. I was like, why not? Uh, moved out to Vegas and did that for, I think a little over a year, probably a year and a half, year and three months or something like that up until about a month ago or two months ago. And that's pretty much the story. I mean, that's it. Can you talk about how you landed that? Because you did a bossy move that I think is really cool. People should hear it. Yeah. So what I ended up doing actually was he went on Instagram live, which was kind of unlike him back in the day before he started pumping content. So yeah, I think he has only done one Instagram live ever. And he was talking to the person behind the camera, like behind the phone. And he mentioned his name. He said, Caleb, like do something. I don't know what it was, but I, I took note of the name and I was like, interesting. So there's someone filming stuff there, which I kind of want to do. His name's Caleb. I'll stalk people now on Instagram and find out who he is. So went on LinkedIn, searched Caleb, found him, found he did stuff with Gary Vee, all that kind of stuff. DM'd him, sent him some videos like pre-made that I just chopped up from like a podcast or something. And I was just like, hey, here's my situation. I'm doing this YouTube stuff. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, it's getting to the point where I'm more interested in the business side of things. Cause like I went to school for business. I was selling stuff at recess. Like I always liked the business side just as much as like the creative, probably more creative than business. Just like you could probably tell just by the way I talk and stuff. Like it's very not structured. Yeah. Hopped on a call and that's pretty much it. Had some conversations. They're like, dude, when can you get out to Vegas? I was like, I can be there whenever. And then I just moved to Vegas. I love men. Men are funny. Wait, pause. <laughs> wait, wait, hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. Pause, pause. You know how like, you know how, I love like, you too, bro. But like, what's going on? <laughs> you know how, you know, how, you know how guys just like underthink everything. And sometimes the girls will overthink. He's just like, I went to Vegas. So it's just like, yeah, I could just go like whenever. I fit, and like I, my girlfriend does this where she's like, you suck at telling stories. And I'm like, I think that's just a guy thing. Cause Quinn's like, I saw an Instagram live and then I sent a DM and then we got on a call and now I live in Vegas. Like, I think you miss like it. 80 <laughs> guys. You, you suck at telling stories too. It's like, I tell stories for a living writing, but like if it happens at the dinner table, I'm like literally stupid. It's like, I don't know how to tell like a hundred chapters. Yeah. This is the content. It's like, I swear, bro. I swear this story is cool. Right. But it's like, I, it's hard. I'm rereading this book, Story Worthy, where they explain how you have cool stories. You just don't remember them or you just don't know how to tell them. But like coming up with a story, it's kind of hard nowadays. I feel because you feel like every story has to be epic. They have to involve somebody getting blackout drunk or driving like a shit ton, right? Whatever. I like really high velocity or whatever. But he says, go open a Google Sheets, come up with a cell that's like a, like maybe two cells wide. And then you write out one or two sentences of what happened that day. And even if it's just not something you remember, eventually you start remembering these really cool stories. Like the other day, I, I just went out my 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 room and there was my dad. He was like, this is peak performance. This is what peak performance looks like, right? So he was like grabbing his phone and the dog was, and he had the table in front of him and the dog was on the table 
totally still. And he was doing business while cutting the dog's hair on the phone. And that's the first thing I see. The most alpha shit I've ever seen in my life is just coming here. So I go like, wait, how does the dog not move? Like, what's going on? And he's like, don't worry. He understands. Just like complete animal human connection. You know, that, that kind of shit. <laughs> like, you don't remember those kind of stories. Yeah. You're going to write them down. So he, that's all about the story worthy thing. Writing yeah. those little moments down. And speaking of which, Quinn did write it down. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to rejog your memory. Uh, In high school, in high school, you made $2,000 in an afternoon with a cardboard box, an empty cardboard box. Can you tell like the story of how you, how you did that? Because I know it was like kind of a, it was kind of an inspiration play and probably plays to the fact that you're very much an artist, but you also do enjoy the business side. Yeah, I actually recorded it. Like when I first moved to Vegas, like a year and a half ago or whatever, um, I actually recorded a YouTube video like talking head style about that thread. That's what that ended up turning into. But I had like a little clothing brand in high school um, called Swoon, which means nothing, which is why it's not the name of it anymore. And it doesn't, it was just, it was five letters. It sounded cool and it wasn't taken on Instagram. So I have the S-W-U-N-E tag on Instagram. It's like my Slack is called Swoon too. I'm aware. It'll stick. I'll talk from that, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I, I would just like sell like random logo t-shirts and stuff like that, like Supreme. And like, I, I liked the hype beast. Like I went through a hype beast phase of like the sneaker reselling and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I was like really into some of the Yeezy season, Virgil Abloh, like deconstructed look, utilitarian type design stuff. And I was still living at home and my dad bought an office chair and it came in this cardboard box and I just thought it looked cool. And it had like text all over it. And it was like straight from like, it was like a Wayfair package. So it was like, it ships from China and it had all these like excessive amounts of like, uh, what's it called? Like barcodes all over it and like text that was upside down in some parts. And I was like, that's kind of cool. And I put it on a mock-up for a t-shirt for some reason and put it on Reddit. So back in the day, before I feel like everyone had a clothing brand, which I feel like there's so many now, there was like this little community on Reddit called Streetwear Startups and it was free and it was like people would post their designs on there and like a link to it and then like ask for feedback or whatever. And I posted it on there and for whatever reason, people liked the cardboard box shirt, <laughs> but it was literally like a, it was a cardboard box. It was all the design elements scanned and put on a t-shirt, screen printed, and that's all I was and there's no point to it. But I think that's like, that's what spoke to people, I guess. And like, what's funny is I sent it to Matthias at the time because I was working at the studio and I was like, I'm doing this clothing thing if you want to like wear it in a video or whatever. And I had this like influx of little kids from his, his audience wanting to buy these cardboard box shirts. So it was like, it was literally just Reddit. And then like viewers from that just like ate this cardboard box shirt up. And like every once in a while on that Swoon account, if I go in my DMs, there will be someone who's like, have you restocked the cardboard box? <laughs> no <laughs> like I actually it actually made me mad because it was like I would take time making designs or whatever and then it was like the one that everyone wanted was literally a cardboard box so I was just like forget about it like nothing is real does that ever actually oh I wanted to ask this does it, does it ever bother you I want to ask this so our most YouTube video most viewed YouTube video ever it's still a shitty loom video about how to scrape a list on Twitter I need to ask this does it bother you that sometimes that shit outperforms the really planned stuff that I think is higher quality. It doesn't bother. I think it's, it's probably like, I don't know. I just think it's funny. Like it just happens. Like you can put so much time into something and it's like, it's back to the beginning of like stripping everything down to it's like bare essentials. It's like, sometimes that just resonates more with people. Like every once in a while, I'm not saying that's the blueprint to go. I know within the fitness community, um, there's a lot more younger guys who are looking up to like Sam Sulik and all these people who just put out vlogs that are 35 minutes of them working out uncut. So there is like some, there's something to that where people want kind of unfiltered stuff, but to the point of the video on your channel, the loom recording, it's like, it is funny. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. It's like, maybe we try making more, like, I don't know. But then it's like, as soon as you try to do more of the outlier, it like doesn't work again. So it's like, Sometimes just things are like that. I don't know. It's weird. It's just like part of like the creative process, I feel like. Can you stand on that? As soon as you try to make more of the outlier, it doesn't work anymore. That's fire. Well, it's like, 
that's the problem I see with most people making content is like there is strategy to it of like looking at people in adjacent niches of like what they're titling things, what they're packaging things like, and like trying to re recreate that in your own light. Like that's completely valid. But what a lot of people do is they're like, like people copy all the wrong things of why something works. That's another tweet I put out the other day, but it's like people will look at a Hormozy video with this title and thumbnail or like the Jacob video, for example, that video got a million views and like the thumbnail was like this blue background fake penthouse with like a big green dollar sign amount on the bottom and like it was literally a screen grab is before we had thumbnail pictures taken for Jacob of him like in this weird like facial expression and we make fun of it to this day it's like he's super like pale like he's doing this weird half smile and we've seen people take that video and take the exact same picture for the thumbnail we've seen people like take the script of it and try to make it. And it doesn't, and sometimes they do overperform for whatever reason, but it's like, then you're always going to be seen as the guy who just copies other people's things. You know what I mean? I fuck with that heavy. And I, I, I sent Quinn, I was going to save this for the next pod, but I, I sent Quinn a message like two days ago. And I like, just like kind of sat down. I was feeling a ton of resistance towards YouTube, more so on the strategy side. Cause I was feeling like I want to enjoy this. And I don't want to turn this into a business right now when I already have a business. And I, cause I was essentially what I was going to do is I was going to do a bit of like a low ticket community and JK talked me out of it. So he could say, I told you so, but, um, <laughs> he, I was going to do this low ticket community and give away all my sauce and like all this stuff and essentially monetize right away. But I didn't, it felt a lot of resistance cause I didn't want to do that. Like there's already so many people monetizing their YouTube and I don't feel like I need to monetize my YouTube and it doesn't align with the kind of video I want to do. Cause you can ask Quinn, like the kind of video I want to do is unique. Like no one's doing the kind of video I want to do, but if I go and monetize it, I feel like it took, felt like it would take something away from it. Um, and th the other side is that, is that people have been copying me and I got kind of pissed off about it. So now I'm just like at war with my competition. <laughs> so I definitely don't want to give away my shit. So, uh, I sent Quinn a message and I was like, I think I'm just going to like have fun and like make cool videos and not turn this into a business right now. And he was like, let's go. <laughs> well, yeah. What do you want to do with your YouTube? Cause that's a, that's an announcement guys. Mark is starting a YouTube channel. Yeah. Well, I already had, so I was already doing like the loom style videos, um, which I've gotten like thousands of views on those from like auto DMS and posting them on X and all this stuff. And I've, I've kind of just. I want to reset because uh, I'm a YouTube kid like Quinn. Um, like I watch all of the OGs, the Rice Gums, the Banks, the Nice Stats, the Dobricks, like all of the OG vloggers. And I kind of want to add my own sauce to it and kind of introduce like business, but also like business for the for the internet kids, the video game kids, the YouTube kids. So I'm going to kind of go that direction. But um, yeah, first video dropped Saturday, but I felt a lot of resistance trying to monetize. It just didn't feel right. Um, like to go and start, it's basically starting a new business. And JK, when, if you look three pods ago, when I, I think it was, was it on the pod or was it off the pod? We talked about the low ticket community. JK's like, that's a term. Oh yeah. It was off the pod. I said it was fucking stupid. He's yeah. like, that's and then like, it, you're going for the rich market. Like, what are you doing, bro? Yeah. Go for the richer people. Well, my, 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 my thought process was, it was top of funnel and that it would feed into my, my business. But I realized like, I don't need that for, like, I don't <laughs> need bro. I was there. Your thought process was, it sounds fun. Let's fucking go. That was your thought process behind it. It took me three weeks to think about it. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting down writing the mega docs. And I'm like, there's just no way I can give all this away for like 50 bucks a month. Like even my team will probably kill me. <laughs> we spent like well over a year figuring shit out and just to be like, give it to the bunch of bottom feeders that are trying to copy us anyway. Like respectfully. I love, I love how you went through that arc where we all go through our hero and villain arc. In the beginnings, we're all going to make it. Everybody needs to share the sauce. Like, here's my secrets, everyone. And then you transition. You go into the into the villain arc and you're like, yeah, fuck these broke people, man. Like, I ain't giving them shit. I'm sorry. Well, it's like we I can give I can give advice all the time, but like to give my tactics away, it felt like it felt wrong. You know what I mean? It felt really wrong. Good. I quit <laughs> I, I want to transition this too. I need to ask this. So uh, you work in both of our channels, you know. You spent a lot of time indirectly with us because you're editing stuff, right? What is some stuff that I can do to get better at the YouTube game that you think could be improved so people can, because they know my YouTube, so they can see what you would improve on and what some advice you would give Marcos as well. Marcos just started, so we have one video. <laughs> 
And I think, I mean, we, we're still, I'm still editing that one. So, I mean, I don't have too much to say there. It's like, we don't have a huge bank of things to like improve on. JK, for your videos specifically, I think it's just like, Marcus is like, I'm perfect. Thank you. Next. Yeah, I swear. I'm, JK, JK, your ass. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, JK fucking <laughs> saw. Like, I really, I don't think there's like too many specific things. I think we could be, we should try being a little bit more quote strategic. It just depends on the goals, right? Like. We could try to be a little bit more strategic and try to do some of these things of like looking at adjacent niches and seeing which click-through rates funnel to your videos and like trying to do some title like hierarchy stuff like that in terms of like I mean come on, be harsh with me. You're in the but I don't know though podcast. Just go, man. Just tell me what I need to improve. I trust it. No, I feel like it's I think it's just maybe expanding on ideas a little bit more. Some of the videos are a little bit short, like the one that we put out this last week. I think it cut down to like six minutes or something like that. I think maybe folding in some more case studies or examples in terms of business to show that it works helps a lot because it's like talking about concepts. I think a lot of people get lost. Like I love to talk concepts all day. You know what I mean? But it's like, if there's not something like that people can directly correlate to like, this is the input, this is the output that could maybe help. Um, I think that, and then personal stories are great. And then maybe limit the amount. I think I put a, I put a retention review together for you as well. I don't know if you saw it. Like this is probably like two weeks ago at this point. It was um, limiting the amount of examples that are basically theoretical. I think one theoretical example for a concept is probably all that most people can handle. Because it's like, I like to expand upon thoughts with a million analogies and stuff as well. And I've heard that a lot of people like your analogies too. But I think in the context of a long form video where the goal of the video is to teach people something, sometimes it's like, okay, here's the concept here's a case study, here's a example that's more metaphorical. And then here's like an example in my own life following like that structure. Cause then they could, they can, they can connect to it on all sides. They can connect to it with you as a person They can connect to it with the results that it brought. And then they can connect to it more abstractly through a metaphor that like ties it all together. But I think people get lost and they, they lose the point of the initial concept when there's too many amorphous examples like i love that shit and i follow it but i think most people would just like they don't understand for example last video we posted was about using urgency and scarcity so one of your things that i really like when you do it's like when you walk me through your thought process life because i can learn a lot from how you think so let's try to do it that video was about me saying I was really stressed, but then I included urgency and scarcity. And I think I gave three examples per each. And in the end, I said, use these examples, go make some money. What changes and where would you implement that to make it for a better video? If you were me, like in my skin. I think one thing that helps with YouTube videos, specifically like teaching concepts, is being very explicit about the structure of the video and what they can expect at the beginning of the video. Like to be like, Hey guys, today we're going to be talking about these two things that, and then like, I kind of did that in the edit of like blurring the two things, but like there are two things in my business that helped me do X result. And we're going to get to that in a second, but first personal story. Then you do like a personal story about like, maybe what did your business look like before you implemented these two things that both like sets the stakes for why these two things are important. And then also gives the viewer time to connect with you as a person without you having to say explicitly, like, these are the reasons why you should listen to what I'm saying. Cause I think a lot of people, like what we were saying at the beginning, what Marcos was saying is like, he didn't want to say explicitly, like I run this agency or I do this X revenue number or whatever at the beginning of the video, cause it comes off weird. But if you can do that in a way where it's like, here's my story and try to like put yourself in the viewer's shoes of like empathizing with their problems and making them see that you, you are them. You know what I mean? Cause then what it does is it hinges the point of the video on those two concepts, it like sets the stage for why they're important. And then I think the structure of like urgency, scarcity, hit urgency first, and then follow that, that example that I was saying before of like, here's what it is. Maybe here's an example in business. Generally, here's a personal example. Here's how you can apply it to your business. And then the next one, boom, 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 boom. And then just like from there end the video. How important is that structure? And like, how do you, how, how harsh do you, uh, kind of put it when it comes to you know hook retain reward retention loops and stuff like that because 
when you hear Mr. Beast talk about YouTube, he talks about it like it's a science, right? And but I also know that you know you're not working with people who are trying to be Mr. Beast. You're working with people who are trying to build a personal brand, not just like Max Virality. So how do you balance that? Because like when I think of a Mr. Beast video, like when he did the uh, the one dollar versus like million dollar hotel, right? And he does at the beginning, he does the open loop, like we're gonna go underwater, we're gonna go to this campsite, and then we went to like Japan, and he's cutting the watermelon, and he like he kind of previews the whole video and then gets into the video. Um, and I also think of like even on the thumbnail side, like Ryan Trahan when he just did the 50 video game stats, like he was split testing thumbnails. Like how much, how much stake do you put into the tactics and the science behind it and the actual personal brand? Like how do you balance that, especially for someone who's new like me? I think the differentiator is the personal stories. I think what a lot of people do who are beginners um, is they overemphasize on the structure and they basically just try to do the Mr. Beast format for everything. And like, it comes off like very forced. But if you look at like the, best speakers of all time. If you look like a Steve Jobs presentation, he's making these open loops. He's doing, he's following a, a structure, but he makes it look effortless. There is a lot to be said about giving people expectations that are going to be fulfilled in the video. But if you can do those in kind of like an artful way where it's not like in this video, we're going to be talking about this. And then we're going to go and talk. It just depends on the objective of the video. Some videos are going to be completely story-based where it's like the hooks and rewards itself are the story it's like setting up a micro problem and a micro solution and then like the next chapter it's more like uh more linear but for conceptual videos i think it's it's helpful to it's helpful to have some kind of roadmap for them to follow that stuff used to slap the in this video we're gonna do this this and this like back in like 2014 i feel like the gamer videos like the like a live like you remember like the the commentaries like they would just do a gameplay and then they would record a voiceover after the fact and they'd just be like, in this video, I'm going to go 30 and 0 and get a nuke. <laughs> and they would just get like 3 million views. Like, I feel like YouTube used to be so much easier. I mean, it could still work. That's the thing. It's like, like for the pods, for example, we've started doing like, you guys do a recap of the pod at the beginning of the podcast because the podcast is more free flowing in nature. It's like, how can we set the stakes for someone who's tuning into the pod who have maybe not seen it before? And then we're basically just hedging on the fact that they like you as characters enough to care about what you're saying, care about what you're thinking, and they like the dynamic enough to watch the whole video. So like that's more conversational, but it also like gives some context to what's about to be said. Like Iman does a good job of it, of like all the visuals kind of like roadmap things, but he's kind of loosely talking. You know what I mean? It's not like super structured. It just depends on like how much you want to science it and how much you want to just like kind of be yourself because it's like if all you do is eliminate it to only the science then what's the differentiator for people to want to watch you i don't know like if it, maybe it's just the information so valuable but it's like most people don't even know what's valuable and what's not so it's like if you're hedging on your information being extremely valuable and you cut all the personal aspect it's like and your stuff yeah. better be like so good that you said last week like the goal of your personal brand should be to construct your own world with your audience you know have inside jokes a township kind of like a, a community or a cult audience like me and jk i mean we're at, was this episode 21 or something like that like we've gotten to the point now where we have inside jokes like in our podcast because it's just like yeah. it's just stuff that naturally comes up we don't do it on purpose but um i feel like that could be like a differentiator it's like your little quirks and you know it, it maybe takes a little bit longer because you're not max optimizing for retention like unless you want to be another Mr. Beast, like you can have those inside jokes and kind of build up a community of people. That's why I like the podcast is like the podcast format's so good. Cause it's like, you can do the more structured top of funnel in quotes, like talking head videos that are more informational. And you can kind of, you can try to maximize for like the objective of these videos is to get seen and to prove, like to prove your competence and to share tactics. And then it's like, okay, if you like this guy enough, because he shows X amount of his personality in these videos, you can hop over to the podcast where you can see him in discussion format. You know what I mean? And then you can build that community and build like that. And I've seen people like comment on the podcast now, and it's kind of cool to see like the the traction is starting to get from people who like watch and tune in every week. You know what I mean? But I think that's where the power is. It's like in a brand, your power is in your CLTV, like your lifetime gross profit per customer. And it's like, for a personal brand, it's the same way. It's like, how many people are going to show up no matter what you post? And one thing connected when you, you were speaking. So there's a guy named Rob O'Rourke on Instagram. He has this kind of um, 
think he does it with his reels. It's talking head with a twist. So it's like he's a freelancer coach. So he's pretending to be a freelancer newbie. And then he switches angles and then he becomes the coach. And that's kind of his, his thing, which is I like that when we ask you for questions like, what do you think works best here? It's like you, nothing else. You, you work best here. So what I've found from listening to you is, you know, we have a format that we pull when engagement is kind of low on YouTube, which is like writing tweets live, baby. That's what we're going to do this week. It's always going to work. <laughs> right? So it's like, I, I think that's, a, and when you said about the 30 whatever minutes working out on cut, I feel like everyone should have kind of this theme that recurrently sticks that you identified that's yours. And every, you don't you don't milk it. You don't do it every day. But at once a month or twice, a, it, it works well. So it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of one takeaway I got from this part of listening to you talk. I did I did an idea. It's like a, maybe like a year and a half ago. Uh, it's actually it's in my unlisted stream. So I used to I used to live stream, and one of the things I tried streaming was building an agency to 10k a month live, and I did it for like four days in a row, uh, and I and I ultimately stopped. But I realized now that I just did it wrong. Uh, but what I was doing was I was live streaming what I was doing. How many cold was I sending cold DMs? Was I writing tweets for clients? Was I building SOP? Like what was I doing, right? Uh, when I ultimately, what ultimately happened is I had to keep putting on lo-fi backgrounds because I couldn't show them the work I was doing for clients because it was confidential and I couldn't show them the client, the people I was yelling because then they would steal my leads. So I was like, <laughs> I can't share anything. <laughs> what I should have done, what I didn't realize is I should have had like a camera maybe behind me and like not so that they can't see the screen, but I could talk them through it. Um, but I was essentially going to live stream myself all day, every day building an agency. And I actually saw someone recently doing it on YouTube, which is what brought it back to the front of my brain but it was an idea i had like two years ago and it was uh it was one of those raw uncut things and i bet if i stuck with it and did it right i would have blown up but um it was an interesting idea and hey, that's sick quinn now you're you're doing your you're kind of like i mean you got us both as clients you're building your brand why now why because you've worked with the other studio before why now quinn why is he coming to light now <laughs> I just think it was time. It's like, I don't know, if it wasn't now, then when would it be? You know what I mean? Like, there's so many people on both sides who are like, oh, if you stay in this opportunity for X amount of time, like, this will happen, that will happen. And I kind of just played it out. I was like, okay, I can move up at this company, be known for these things, do this kind of stuff. And like, do I really want that? And then I would like compare it to other people in the industry who have done similar things. Like, um, D Rock at Gary Vee, he's like his number one guy. And he's very well respected within the personal branding community and very well respected in like the, uh, this space. It's like, that's not really what I wanted to do. I kind of have like more aspects. Like it's probably from a business perspective, it might've been smart to like, you know, stick somewhere longer and do all that kind of stuff. But like, I have this creative bug that I've always had to like try different things and to, you know, I like to produce music. I like to do this stuff. I like architecture and I like <laughs> cars and design and I like I just wanted to kind of experiment with that a little bit more while still being able to like work with cool people that I like you know what I mean so it's like that's what the next chapter is for me is like focusing on you guys honestly and then like keeping the agency relatively small so that I can like build the fantasy factory like I'm looking at um I actually put in a I put in a application for a commercial space out here in Phoenix ended up getting taken by another client or another tenant or whatever, just because like they had more provable cash flow and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, that's the goal is to like get the warehouse space, build a cool ass team of like people who love creative excellence and who can work with like dope people and like basically just be turnkey creative for like a bunch of different brands and industries and stuff like that. Like that's the end goal. And it was just, it was getting to the point where it's like, when am I going to do that? Like I'm not, I'm not yeah. 16. You know what I mean? You never struck me as a entrepreneur. You've always struck me as an entrepreneur that was in an entrepreneurial season. Because um, like I think of even like someone, what's his name? This is this is exactly proving my point, but Mr. Beast Manager, I don't know his name. Um, but he goes on all the podcasts and he's known as Mr. Beast Manager. And you don't come off as a person who should be known as an entrepreneur. You should be known as an entrepreneur, which is also why before we did this podcast, I made it a point to make the podcast about you. Uh, because you are an entrepreneur and like you're an artist like um so you should i feel like it was just your next season you know and you spent what four years as an entrepreneur five six seven 
Um, you're 23. You started at what, 16? So seven years. I mean, that's a long fucking time. I spent zero years <laughs> as an entrepreneur. So, um, yeah, you must have been itching. Oh, yeah. Like that was the hardest part about the whole thing was like the internal battle of wanting to do my own thing. I know I talked to JK about it. I've talked to like multiple people throughout the process of like being there. And it's just like I, I just always wanted to do more. You know what I mean? And maybe that's stupid. And it's like I should have like killed some of my dreams or whatever for a season for longer to like but it's just like at the end of the day it's like you got one shot at life and it's like I looked at everyone everyone that I look up to had to step away to do their own thing at some point and it's like because they did that is why I respect them like because they had to go through the hard stuff and like build their own business like sleep on the gym floor like do all these kind of things it's like that's what I relate to as a person. That's why I wanted to work with these people in the first place. That's why I wanted to work with High Five Studios and Matthias in the first place is because I saw this person who had their vision and they were able to like make it a reality. And it's like, I learned so much from working underneath people, but it was just like, it was driving me crazy. Like I just had to, yeah. I, I had to get and, out to be honest. And you have, you've worked for the three biggest male entrepreneurs in the world, Alex, JK, and me. Um, you have 13, you have 13,000 subscribers on YouTube. The real question is when are you going to be making content for yourself? Scott, I feel like this, I feel like you guys wanted, like, this might be the story. That's, that's Quinn language for don't fucking ask me that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to do it. It's just like, it's about what it, like, I want it to be documenting the journey of like building something which I guess is what I'm doing now. So I should probably start me with stuff. It's so cool. Cause I feel like we're building similar things. Like um, I'm doing it obviously on the X side and like more advertising, but you're doing it on like the video side, but I want to have an office the same way you do. So I would love to, we could, you should, you should specifically definitely document like building the office and building a team and a studio and all that shit. Put your, put your BMW in the garage out in the open for everyone to see like full fantasy factory style. I feel like that's a really cool idea. I mean, that's, that's the dream. Like that's, that's what I've wanted. Like my, my, my bedroom at home, when I was living at home, I turned into like a mini studio. It's like this room right now, I got a mattress on the floor and then a desk in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was in Phoenix, I was like, yo, quick, did it crash? He's like, I don't think you want to. <laughs> like this location's kind of nice. I'm like, okay, don't worry about it. I understand. Yeah. No, like literally I just got a mattress today. Yeah. I had a, a buddy of mine was doing corporate training in Chicago for three months. So I was just crashing at his place and then another friend of mine was there. So it was like, I was just like hopping between places for a little bit, but now we, uh, we got a spot we're stacking hopefully. And then within the next eight to 12 months, I'm saying maybe before that just depends on like availability for commercial spaces and stuff like that. That's the goal. Like before this podcast, I was at a coffee shop. I met with a kid who's like out here at ASU, who was like a video editor, creative guy. And like, I told him about all this and he's like, that's what he wants to. So I'm just trying to find like those like-minded people to be able to like do stuff. That's sick. I, I know we're like way over time, but this is my formal invitation to, for you to come to Miami and split a space with us. And we'll get a double, we'll get twice the size of an office in, in Wynwood or one of the, one of like the Sand Hill road up and coming startup culture places in Miami. I'm getting an office within 12 months. That's my, that's my 12 month goal come split it with us we'll have a, a real a real like a like we'll have like all the best we'll have the best like agency fantasy factory in the world that's my formal invitation unless you want to stay in the whack city of phoenix <laughs> <laughs> no I, I actually i want to like when you when you get out to miami i want to fly out because i've never i've actually never been out there and there's so many guys out there who are uh jake and i'm are you yeah jake yeah. about yeah, um, I mean, Marcus, you did say you loved men, right? So how about like oh, oh, really oh, get me oh. get me my green card, and then we can talk about it. You know, it's like now it's legal. It's just we can do that. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of uh, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, middle aged American women who want uh, to feed off of you, JK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Marcus. I appreciate that. Uh, well, this was fun, man. Uh, Quinn, where can people find you? And uh, yeah, where can people find you? What should they know about you? Honestly, X or Twitter at QFULM, at Q-F-U-L-M. It's my first initial and the first four of my last name. That's pretty much where I'm putting anything out right now. Don't go to YouTube. That's all old. Very old, very cringe. 
There's part of me that wants to archive it all, but I think I'm going to let it fucking live just so that you guys can have a kick out of it when it shows up on your recommended, but um, pretty much Twitter. And then I'll just be updating people there and eventually uh, kick back off the YouTube. And I mean, I'm on Instagram, same, same handle, but pretty much Twitter. Pretty much it. Thank you for doing this, man. This was dope. Thanks. No, thank you guys. Yeah. I didn't talk the whole time. Like, I feel like I was rambling. That's the point of a guest pod. <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs>